So, Doug, you live blogged the Home Run Derby, and you watched the All-Star Game alongside me. What, what was your favorite part of the festivities? Uh, I got to say, number two, Michael Jeter, number two. Social media, huh? Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Yes Men. I'm Lou DiPietro. To my left, as always, is my partner, Doug Williams. And the All-Star Game is now over, Doug. Michael, or Derek, Jeter, in the books for the All-Star Game. Dude hit, like, 481 in the All-Star Game for his career, which, yeah, I mean, is only, only 26, I think, at-bats, 27 at-bats, maybe, but still pretty pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, it was fun to watch. I, I mean, I love the All-Star Game. I There's something about it that I just really thoroughly liked. I, I love baseballs. I look forward to every single inning because different guys are going to be in usually, and you get to see the best pitchers in baseball. Everyone that pitched last night was nasty in a different way, in their own way. And, you know, we saw some offense. It was a mixture between offense, defense, and pitching. Yeah, there was a little bit of everything. I said that to uh, to our boss, Kevin Sullivan, as we uh, were chatting this morning about it, that, you know, the hitting display in the first couple innings, the AL striking quickly, and then the NL coming right back in the second. Uh, and then, you know, kind of became a pitcher's duel. Chris Sale looked very good for the American League uh, in his inning. Clayton Kershaw looked fantastic. Granke looked fantastic. Uh, you know, the AL got a couple runs in the middle there, and then it became kind of a battle of the bullpens, uh, if you will. A nice move, um, you know, last year with allowing Mariano to pitch the eighth by Jim Leland. This year, Glenn Perkins and Kurt Suzuki getting uh, the ninth inning. Great move there by John Farrell as well, which yeah. kind of worked out well. They were up 5-3, so it was a safe situation. No, it was great. And, of course, the Derek Jeter treatment was terrific. Yeah. Um, I tweeted out after, you know, he kind of came off. And was substituted out for uh, for Ramirez. Um, is that his name? Yeah, it was Alexi Ramirez. Alexi Ramirez. Yeah. yeah, I just said that you know it wasn't too much. It was just it was perfect, and it was kind of uh, all it needed to be. And a lot like Derek Jeter, you know, he's never gonna you know thrill you with drama, you know, in his personal life or in an interview. He's just kind of he's gonna show up every day. He's gonna work hard. He's gonna hustle. And it, you know, it was just exactly, it totally personified him and portrayed him accurately. So I liked the treatment. I Absolutely. thought it was good. I, I honestly thought he was going to get pinch run for after he got on in the third inning. I thought maybe that's where Farrell would pull him and get the moment. But uh, you know, he decided to do it in the beginning of the inning. Maybe a little bit of a nod towards not taking three minutes in the middle of a pitcher's inning. I guess you know Chris Sale was warming up, but still. Um, you know, a, a great moment nonetheless, and, and and kind of a fitting farewell for you know, possibly the best Yankee of our generation. It's him or Mariano Rivera. So I mean, you know, yeah. and it was a shame that you know the Adam Wainwright stuff kind of overshadowed that because you know a lot of people were opinionated about Adam Wainwright came out in the post game. If anybody listening hasn't heard, and he basically said. I kind of threw Derek Jeter some meatballs, and, and 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 he deserved it. He deserved to get a hit. And a lot of people have their opinions. Most opinions just are that he shouldn't have said anything. There's, you know, that's one of the unspoken things in baseball. I guess is that if you do throw somebody some meatballs in an All Star game, that counts towards the, yeah, you know, the home hmm. home f- field advantage in the World Series. You might want to. Uh, not tell yeah, the rest of your team. It's one thing you're if you're David Cohn grooving in fastballs to Tino Martinez or Jesse Barfield in the old Timers Day game. It's another uh, respect or not. It's another to serve Derek Jeter a pitch that anyone can hit in the first inning of an All Star game that counts for home field advantage 
in a World Series that, you know, Adam Wainwright's Cardinals could be in. I right. mean, if you think it's far-fetched that the Cardinals could be in the World Series, look back to, oh, I don't know, last year. Yeah, yeah so, they're, they're your prediction, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, if, if it's done, if it's unspoken, that's fine. Don't say it. And And people on Twitter... They've proven that every fan base has morons. Some of the Cardinals fans I've seen on yeah, Twitter, on various everywhere. websites, with the, you know, he did, Wainwright didn't want to show Jonathan Lucroy his uh, his arsenal and this and that. I mean, really? You know, blame it on the fact that Yadier Molina wasn't behind the plate. Like, really? Because Clayton Kershaw had no problem. Zach Greinke had no problem. None of the other guys. I mean, they may have to face Milwaukee in the playoffs. They didn't have any problem if that was the case yeah I mean, come on cardinals fans uh have the reputation of being a great fan base but in this case i think a, a select few came out and, and started talking about jonathan lucroy and how he's no yadi or molina and as good of a player as yadi or molina is i tend to think he's overrated i think there are a lot of great catchers in baseball that can call a yeah. good game and frame a pitch you're not that special if you do that that well i mean the the cardinals just have really good players yeah and to to think that there's any correlation between uh, Yadier Molina not being in the All-Star game and Adam Wainwright giving up a few runs, you're wrong. And, you know, one thing I will say about Adam Wainwright throwing a meatball to Derek Jeter is that when you're facing Adam Wainwright, an 87-mile-an-hour fastball, you don't know what's coming. You're expecting – I mean, granted, Derek Jeter is a major league hitter and a good, very good one at that. Mm-hmm. But there really is – it's hard to throw a meatball when you're one of the best pitchers in baseball because you have a knuckle curve – that can make you swing out of your shoes or a changeup or a two-seamer. I mean, Adam Wainwright throws so many pitches. Derek Jeter didn't know what was coming. Just because yeah. Adam Wainwright thinks he threw him a meatball doesn't give you an exact reason as to why Derek Jeter got the hit. In reality, it's because he was prepared for the pitch, yeah. guessed right, and hit a double. And even beyond that, you know, if he threw him a meatball, that had no bearing on the fact that Mike Trout hit a triple and, and Miggy hit a home run later in right. inning off him. So... Uh, yeah. What do you got on that one? I mean, seriously. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was three nothing in the blink of an eye, and and th- that had n- none of that had anything to do with Jeter. Maybe one run of that, obviously, because he was on base for Trout's triple. But still. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's better left unsaid. And Mike Trout I won MVP. I, I was wondering last night: is it possible that if Mariano hadn't won an MVP last year, would Derek have won it this year? Well. Here's here's what I thought about that, and, and as I watched the game and it progressed, you, you first thing is he goes, oh Hollywood Jeter, of course he leads off with a double, then he gets a single, he scores a run, you know, it, it's a performance worthy of an MVP depending on how the game ends. Last year's game was a three nothing pitchers duel, so oh no, did anybody? I mean, that was one of those situations where there wasn't anyone you could step and go, well, why did Rivera win it over this guy? So they just gave it to Rivera as the, you know, the, the final token of appreciation, I think. I, I mean, he did pitch a good inning, but, again, nobody really had that kind of game where you're like, oh, he's the MVP. It would have been like, you know, nine guys receiving votes in the right. top three kind of situation. This year, I mean, Trout had the, you know, he had the triple that drove in the first run. He scored the second run. He drove in another run later in the game. A couple extra base hits. I mean... Did he have a better game? Maybe, probably. So you can't say, well, you should have given it to Jeter. I mean, Jeter had a good game, but he went three for three one year, and Alfonso Soriano got the uh, MVP because he hit a three-run homer. 
Right. So, I mean, it, it's, Jeter, it's a completely specious if award. He, if he had made that diving play in the first inning, that I think would have yeah. made things even more interesting. Because defensively, you have to reward the guys as well. It's just right. one award, but you're kind of encompassing right. all the facets of the game. Maybe they should have given it to Yadier Molina, considering it was the Cardinals pitchers that yeah. got lit up. Wow, Yadier is just so great. Even when he's not playing, he's just so great. Great, great, great. Best catcher in baseball. So valuable. Because, you know, Pat Neshek didn't want to show Devin Mesoraco his best stuff either. So yeah, that's, pro- that's what happened oh, in the fifth God. inning. You know, it's just... Yadier Molina, I mean, he's good, but... First of all, offensively, he's nothing special. I don't know. It just it, it does drive me crazy. He's, People, a, he's very good with a young pitching staff. He's yes. a very good and with a young lot, pitching staff. But a staff. lot That's, of guys are right. And there's Brian yes, McCann's done a good job with Tanaka and Whitley exactly. and Nuno guys and everybody. Can do it. It, it. I think when Joe yep. Maurer was a catcher, it was appropriate because he was hitting three thirty every year. But mm-hmm. Yadier Molina is not doing that. Yeah. I mean, I know last year he had a terrific year offensively, I believe. He was, what, third in the MVP voting? Right. Yeah. But I think when you're a catcher, you get kind of extra, I don't know. You get a little bump in your rating based on what right. you do defensively right. because of how so much your it. job is. And yeah. I totally respect that. And I respect catchers. Um, but to say that Yadier Molina's absence was was the difference in the game is just incorrect. Jonathan Lucroy is having an unbelievable year. He's maybe the best catcher in baseball right now. Yeah. So uh, to to kind of differentiate those two and say that you know Yadi wouldn't have allowed those runs to score, it's just wrong. But yeah. um, I mean, you know, Cardinals fans are like, oh, best catch in the league, Yadi. Second best catch in the league, Yadi. Yeah. Third best catch in the league, the other Molina. Yeah. I mean, come on. Well, uh, Lou, we haven't actually had a podcast since LeBron signed, so I guess we, we should talk a little bit about kind of the fallout from the from NBA the decision and NBA free agency. There, there was one last thing I wanted to talk about in the All Star game, but I'll, I'll get back to it later when we go into another topic we have planned. It's about it counting, oh. but I'll, I'll bring it back around. And and yeah, we can move on to LeBron. He's back in Cleveland. Cleveland is now loading up on players. Uh, Mike Miller is going to sign with Cleveland. LeBron's uh, LeBron's best three point henchman, I guess you could call him at this point. Uh, they've said Andrew Wiggins is going to stay, apparently, so they're going to build this team from within. The Cavs instantly went from, I think it was 50-1 to one to 4-1 to one favorites to win the NBA Three title within 20 minutes of that decision coming out. Yeah. And now they're 3-1. to one. They're, the, they're the favorites. Which is... Ridiculous. A, insane. B, ridiculous. C, shows you how weak the Eastern Conference is slash was beyond the heat over the last few years. Yeah, and uh, I know yeah. he's the best player in the NBA, but really, yeah the the Cleveland Cavs are kind of now a team that I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to root for, and they're kind of doing themselves a favor, I think, in not going and getting Kevin Love. Now maybe they still will, but it changes everything because if you're if you're rooting for LeBron, Andrew Wiggins, and Kyrie Irving, big three, you're rooting for two really young kids. And that's different. We haven't seen that with LeBron. Right. We're really rooting for LeBron to kind of mentor Andrew Wiggins and and Kyrie Irving. And that's kind of a position that we haven't seen him in. In in Miami, he was surrounded by veterans who just weren't doing the job in the the latter stages of his time there. But it's really an interesting scenario. And Andrew Wiggins, first of all, I feel like people are kind of selling him short. Let's not forget the fact that we really thought – uh, when he was first starting at Kansas and when he was in high school, that this guy was going to be the next Michael Jordan. So, 
and he's the number one pick in the draft. Right. I mean, right. And people are talking about him like, well, he's a project. You know, he's not totally NBA ready. And I understand that, and I've said that in the past about him. But at the same time, he couldn't be in a better situation. Yeah, because he doesn't even need to start. No, Dion Waiters can start. Yeah, um, at the two, it's really it's a perfect situation. Apparently, people who really know the game think that LeBron and the, the Cavs' new head coach, Dave Blatt, yeah, Dave Blatt, are going to be perfect together. They they say Blatt is just a really good guy and a guy who will who will learn from what LeBron and what worked from LeBron and Spolstra and, and kind of go from there. Um, it's a great situation in the Eastern yeah. Conference as a whole, Lou. Is a lot more interesting. I won't. I won't say it's as good as the West or even close. But no, no, it's it's, it's, it's gotten much more, more competitive out. in yeah. the last week. Uh, you know, Kyrie Irving was a freshman when he came out of Duke too, and he was a little more NBA ready, maybe mm-hmm. uh, than than Wiggins. He barely his, played at Duke, which was but really he barely crazy. played, and he won the Rookie of the Year, and he just earned himself ninety million dollars because he's that good. So I mean, the ceiling is high. Right? Could he be Anthony Bennett? Sure. Well, Anthony, Anthony Bennett, Bennett was Anthony Bennett way. last year, but I know you you like to hate on Anthony Bennett, but Anthony Bennett is having the best. I just don't like Canadians. <laughs> the no, best just... summer ball, yeah, in the NBA. Mason Plumley had a pretty damn good summer league too. Anthony Bennett, I want to say, way. is averaging like a fourteen and uh, eleven or twelve in the games that he's played so far. Of course, summer league summer league basketball means about as much as like the exhibition games the Yankees play against Florida State in reality, but. Yes, I, it's 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 a place to shine and flash some some I, gaudiness. I don't think Anthony Bennett is dead. I don't think he is a. No, I don't think so either. I just think he had a bad year on a bad team. He wasn't he wasn't NBA ready when and he came out. He had an injury, and yeah. you know he's banged up. Yep, played um, on a mid major team, so he wasn't facing. I mean, say what you want about Kyrie Irving and Andrew Wiggins, they went to Kansas and Duke. They're playing top-tier teams exactly. twice a, a year. Point. You know, Duke's playing the Carolinas and the Marylands of the world and going deep in the tournament. Kansas, the same thing, playing, you know, Baylor and Kansas State and Missouri and Iowa State and other teams in the Big 12 that were good this year and going a couple rounds into the tournament. UNLV played San Diego State, New Mexico, and then a bunch of, like, you know, the schedule you would pick in, in college basketball 2K15 to try to win the national title with some mid-major school. That's what they played. It's a little bit different level. Uh, can he be good? Sure. Could he be a bust? Sure. We'll find out. He is having a good summer league. Take that as you will, but we'll find out in October. Yeah. I, I, I know that there is such a thing as a bust, and I realize that they actually do happen and that they mm-hmm. have happened a lot in the past, but I find it really hard to believe that talent just escapes you. So even when Ryan Leaf was just it looked like he had no business in the National Football League. Right. I always thought try him somewhere else. Yeah. Just he he there was a, a reason that he was the number 1 pick. Just let him try somewhere else. Yeah. Tim so, Couch and David Carr could have been much better quarterbacks right. than they were, too, but they were they were put on an expansion teams right. where they had totally no shot. True. And you never know. It's it's like well you draft him first for a reason. The tape in college yep. is real. It mm-hmm. happened. So I, I don't know, Anthony Bennett, let's give him another shot. He's basically playing for a new team. And right. what's interesting, Lou, that I was going to ask your opinion on, um, as of this morning, the reason that I think people are saying that the East is wide open is because the two best teams in the East were the Pacers and the Heat, and it was it was not even close. And they both lost and their best LeBron player. And LeBron and Lance Stevenson are both on two other teams in the East. Mm-hmm. That's, all, that's as far as you need to look in terms of why the East is wide open now. And Charlotte. I mean, look at their roster now with Kemba, Al Jefferson, and Lance Stevenson. Yeah, that's I mean, a pretty that's good a formidable team. team right there. They lost Josh McRoberts, which will hurt. Right. He was he was a very good player for them. 
um, who went to the Heat, oddly enough. Stevenson, yeah, I mean, he's a difference maker. How much will that hurt Indiana? You know, they seem to kind of lose their way once they acquired Evan Turner last year. He's gone, gone or going to be gone now, too. Um, Stevenson's gone. Will they band together? Will that? Will they fill in the gap? Like, what What will happen? That's going to be interesting. But, yeah, the, the, the best player, theoretically, I mean, Paul George maybe on Indiana might have something to say about that, but one of the best players on both of those teams is gone. And you've got LeBron in Cleveland. You've got Charlotte, with, which, like you said, now has Stevenson to go with Kemba and Jefferson. Pau Gasol on the Bulls were basically replacing Carlos Boozer, who was amnestied. Carmelo's back with the Knicks, who are in the midst of an overhaul under Phil Jackson. Miami has sort of shorn up their attempt at a big three by signing Luol Deng, who everybody, I think, forgot about this offseason because it was LeBron and Carmelo. And Luol Deng's still a pretty darn good player. I mean, I know he didn't show it much last year in Cleveland, but still a pretty good, pretty good player. The balance of power went from one or two teams and a bunch of middle-range good teams to a lot closer now. I think it's a lot of teams in that 45 win range. And now, you'll be I able think. to tell the differences. I don't think there will be an Atlanta next year, like a team who's who just walks into the eighth seed kind of yeah. begrudgingly is like, all right, yeah, we'll go to the playoffs. But I don't think that'll happen. I think at least this year it'll be competitive. And I don't know if the. I also don't think a team's going to run away with the East like the Heat and the Pacers. Yeah, do. that's. I don't very think there's going to be that big of a. You'll see a difference at top and the bottom. I yeah, think that's a good point. I would have liked now that I'm thinking about it. Because when you said, will Indiana be able to figure it out? And that's a good question. They have no guard play, really. And I would have liked to somehow see Dwayne Wade go to the Pacers because I think that would have been a good way to be like, all right, LeBron, you're going to find your way to contender. I'll, I'll do the same. Yeah. But it would never have happened. Obviously, the Pacers probably couldn't afford the salary. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm excited for the NBA season, and I'm usually not. But I'm very excited because I think there are a lot of different teams that are going to be interesting to watch. And, um, you know, the Nets, people say they've taken a step back. I'm not totally sure I believe that. I mean, you're, you, you have Brooke Lopez. You're losing Paul Pierce. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a perfectly good head coach in Lionel Hollins. I don't think losing Jason Kidd was a huge... Nope. Alan deal. Anderson just re-signed. So, I mean, he's back. He was a big glue guy last year. Yeah, I think they'll Filled be fine. Admirably. They still have Kirilenko. Still yeah. have a lot of the, the major pieces. Mm-hmm. KG is apparently pretty psyched to come back. They're pretty much, they're pretty much subbing in a healthy, hopefully, Brooke Lopez for Andre Blatch. And they're subbing in Bogdanovich for Pierce. That's pretty much it. I mean, it's basically the same team. So, new head coach, a little bit different dynamic. Less expectations. Less expectations, less pressure. pressure. Plumlee has come into his own. Like I said, last year, all that playing time helped him. He was a guy, if you remember when we did our our, uh, preseason series with all all the players and everything, he was a guy that Billy King originally had ticketed for riding the shuttle between, you know, the NBA and the D League. And he ended up being a big part of the team. Had a big summer. If Lopez gets hurt now, again, I'm sure Nets fans and brass alike feel a little more confident if Plumlee has to step in. As it is, as a backup, he's going to be a great asset, especially with a KG who's another year older. Do they maybe play a little Twin Towers lineup in there once in a while? Who knows? But, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's basically, for all intents and purposes, the same team minus Paul Pierce. Swapping in Bogdanovich. Really. Carmelo going back to the Knicks wasn't nearly as exciting as LeBron going to Cleveland. No. But, you know, if you're a Knicks fan, you should be excited. I, I think the team's in good hands. And they're another yeah. team that potentially a six, seven, or eight seed next year. He was, you know, Carmelo was damned if he did and damned if he didn't on that one. I think if, if he came back, it's he wants the money. If he doesn't come back, it's he abandoned the team. 
I don't think there was a win. It was a lose-lose situation for him. So I think he did in his heart what he wanted to do, which is play in New York and get the extra $25 million. But he wants to be in New York. That's yeah. that's great. Good for him. I, I'm, I like, I'm glad. And like after how, next year, we'll see what happens. I, I like how people say he like – the rhetoric is that he wants the money or he needs the money or he likes the money. When in reality, it's just a smart business decision. Yeah. Who Who is going to leave 20-something million dollars on – oh, Dwayne Wade did. <laughs> didn't, and, yeah, didn't but, quite work out for him, did it? Right, yeah. Uh, he what, what's his contract? Eleven million less than he opted out for. So good job there, Dwayne. And nice you never job. get that money back. Nope. So if and he's not going to improve. And I think I do think that people the the Michael Jordan thing is real in, in in Chicago. I won't. I will say I think it matters more to LeBron than it does to Carmelo. But I think winning a championship in Chicago is is great. But it's you kind of felt like. Uh, well, in reality, I, I feel like I'm just living up to someone else, and, and if I do it, it's great, but they've right. seen it before. Uh, a lot of. Uh, but Paul Pierce didn't have that problem in Boston. I mean, it took Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett to come in and win a title, but Pierce was that next superstar that he, he was drafted by the team, at least. But he was that next superstar that came in and had to replace Larry Bird, Kobe Bryant, and Magic Johnson. I mean, it's the same thing in LA. That was title town for a while. Kobe. You know, has never had to worry about living in magic shadow. I mean, it helped that he won five NBA titles in his first whatever it was eight years in the league. But it's also I, I, you I mean, can you can the become, difference is draft being drafted into the organization. Yeah, it, well, he wasn't technically drafted into the organization. He was drafted by the Hornets, but but he was he was a Laker from the beginning. Right, yes, I never, see where you're going. So was Pierce. It wasn't his choice. But that's the thing is, if these guys can grow into the role, then why why is it weird, odd, bad, whatever adjective you want to use? If someone like Carmelo or LeBron goes somewhere where they have to fill the shoes of someone like a Jordan. I, I, I understand the comparison is, is going to be there, but... My point is that it's less about filling shoes than it is just the the kind of joy of winning a championship somewhere like New York would outweigh that of winning a championship in Chicago because you have a guy who not too long ago won six. Right. So, if you win one in the same city, big whoop. They've been there before. If you win one in, in New York, you're a hero. So it's the difference between one championship somewhere and one championship somewhere else. It's huge. So then let me let me ask you this. If the Rockets win the NBA championship, what does that do for Dwight Howard? Because this is a team that hasn't won a title in 20 years, but they won two of them. And the key player on that team played the same exact position and is one of the 50 best players in NBA history when they released that list. Well, I think Dwight Howard, if he wins a championship, will realize that he didn't do it alone because he can't. Right. Um, well, so he, I don't think he tried with the magic. Right. And he, him and Jameer his ego, him and his ego thought they could do it. And oh. it's just, it's not a position where I, I think you can win a championship on your own anymore. Big men, as great as Dwight Howard is, you know, 20 and 10 doesn't win it alone. LeBron James right. basically plays every position on the floor right. per night. Howard but, needs that Chris Hart, uh, exactly. Chris Hart, James, James Harden. Harden. Uh, Look at you, CBS Twitter. Yeah, he needs he needs James Harden, and you know they don't have Chandler Parsons anymore or Jeremy Lin. But so it's different. That group. In, to answer your question, it's different for for a Dwight Howard because I don't think people would say Howard gets his title. I think people would just say you know the Houston Rockets with you know Jeremy right. Lin no longer uh, James Harden and it's the Patrick Beverly and Omer Sheik yeah. show. Yeah. So I think it, it, it's not fair. But it's been limited to shooting guards and small forwards for counting titles. I guess I, I don't know. It's I don't even I don't even think Chris Chris Paul's viewed that way, is he? No, I don't think people sit around counting 
His no. lack of titles. No. CP3 and Blake Griffin, same thing. I mean, it's... Certain people just get away with it, Lou. And and I, I people are already talking about Paul George and... It's people... because... You know why? It's because everybody's looking for the next Jordan or Larry Bird. And, I mean, I know Magic Johnson was a point guard, but he was much like LeBron in that he could have been a power forward if he really wanted to. Everyone's looking for the next Jordan or Bird. So what did they play? They were shooting guards and small forwards. That's why. That's why it's Carmelo. That's why it's LeBron. That's they are usually the most dynamic players on the floor. Mm. There's a lot of one-dimensional point guards. There's a lot of one-dimensional centers. And I think part of it too, like we were talking about earlier, if you're a point guard, you can't play like LeBron does every night. Basically, every position on the right. floor. And if you're a center, you certainly can't because so, yeah. you're basically because of your height. Right. To make it simple, if you're six one, you can't play the four, and if you're seven one, you can't play the two. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but that's why. It's LeBron. It's Carmelo. It's Paul Pierce. It's, you know. Once again, though. Kevin the, Durant. The NBA offseason does the sport a favor. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we'll see if the season lives up to it. I don't see one Cleveland Cavalier game being boring, though. No. Not in, not not in the slightest. No. Unless, unless there's a serious injury. I know that people dog it in the NBA offseason. It's true. I'm, I mean, season. It, it is an offseason, the regular yeah, season. Well, really, yeah. But in the NBA season, I know people dog it, but I just I, – I, I would love to watch that team play. And I would love to see the first Cavs-Heat game in Miami because that is going to be amazing. I want to see – The bandwagon excited. Heat fans might show up. I'm more excited for the first game in Cleveland to see him back there in that uniform – I loved watching. I loved LeBron when he was in Cleveland because I loved watching him play there. The Nets opened and closed last season in Cleveland. I'd love to see him open there again. That would yeah. be that would be great. Is the schedule out yet? Mm, I don't think so. I think we'd know all about it. If yeah, it was. no, no, I don't um, think so. Uh, but that would be ridiculous to say the least. I mean, you saw what happened when Garnett and Pierce went back to Boston, <laughs> and they were on the opposing team. I mean, yeah. what's going to happen Good in Cleveland point. on opening night? Good point. Um, it's uh, going to be going to be a happening. As one of my childhood idols would say. So we're we're doing this podcast on Wednesday. On Friday, the Yankees start back with the uh, second half of their season. Mm-hmm. Am I segueing too early for you again, or are you nope. ready to move on? No, I'm ready to move on. Right. I think that deafening silence there for 30 seconds kind of proved <laughs> we're ready to move on. Uh, Lou, the Yankees have the most home games in baseball in the second half. They do. But they haven't played well at home this year. That's true. What, if anything... Can they do except get healthy to play better at home? Start hitting. I, I mean, what I don't know what to say to that. Obviously, some offensive production would be nice. Um, some of those left-handed hitters taking advantage of the short porch would be nice. The thing that I think is a little overlooked, because people are just like, oh, it's an incremental upgrade. Shane Green and Brandon McCarthy are both ground ball pitchers, which is huge in Yankee Stadium. Vidal Nuno was not. You saw what happened. Phil Hughes was not. You saw what happened last year. That's going to be huge, especially if they can play some competent. I I say competent because that's about the level they're at is competent these days. Competent infield defense. They can steal some runs away. You know, they can kind of they can kind of help themselves by not playing to the weaknesses of their stadium. Yeah, not necessarily playing to the strengths, but not playing to the weaknesses. If you know what I mean. I've watched, before the break, I probably watched 15 straight Yankee games pretty much in their entirety. And Shane Green 
watching him pitch, it's not one of those things where his stuff is ever going to get him in trouble because his stuff is really good. Right. The problem in the past with him has been his control. Yep. And that has not seemed to be a problem from the first pitch he threw in his first start in that he just seemed to have a confidence about him and, and did not seem nervous on the mound, didn't seem like he was worried about walking guys. Right. So I agree with you. I think he's very important. I think McCarthy's very important. I'm not sure what they'll do with Francis. He throws about 81 miles an hour. Yep. So I'm not sure. They could th- use a left-handed starter. But, they could. I mean, they you could. know. But you know what? I, I We've been doing a lot of trade deadline stuff on mm-hmm. YesNetwork.com, and you've done some good stuff this week that's been yep. really good. You did outfielders today, infielders yesterday, starting pitchers on Monday. Right. Um, Tomorrow's internal options, if you're counting. And if you're looking for... Let me just say this. If you're looking for sexy trade deadline options, you may not may not like a lot of what you right. put in your articles. If you're looking for realistic, judging from what we've seen in the past, judging from what the market is, judging what, from what the Yankees have in their farm system options, then lose right. articles are going to be perfect for and, you. And you among them, a lot of people have said to me, how, how, wondering how I left Ian Kennedy off the starting pitcher's. Uh, list and realistically, it's because he's still got one arbitration year and he's making, I think, eight million dollars this year. So he's not going to get, he's not going to get, you know, a decrease in pay in arbitration. So it's either renounce his rights or pay him eight million dollars next year. Which I don't know. I, I don't see that happening. That's why I left him off. Um, yeah, there's not Samarja and Hamler in Oakland. David Price is maybe the next biggest fish, and maybe John Lester if the Red Sox decide they're out of it and try to get something for him now. Rather than you know the draft pick they may try to get if they if they give them the qualifying offer, both of those are interdivision trades. The Red Sox especially are going to ask for a lot for John Lester, for a guy who I wouldn't give up you much know, for him. Yeah, for a guy who you don't know what he, where he's going to be in a year or two. Same with David Price; he's got a year of team control, but he's already making a ton of money. You know, he doesn't necessarily seem to want to be a Yankee based on things he said in the past. And you know, Tampa Bay. Their front office is the masters of getting the maximum out of anything they give away. So that leaves, you know, that kind of puts them out. There's not much left after that because there's not a lot of teams, quite frankly, that are out of it. The second wild card obviously helps, but even without that, there's so many teams that are in contention, especially in the National League, that there's not a lot out there. And the two guys that were have already been traded. Yeah. The hitting market is a little more. I guess lucrative would be the right word. And the other thing with that, too, is teams like Houston don't have – I mean, Houston stinks, but they don't have any depreciable assets to give away because it's a young team. Their rotation is young guys like Dallas Keuchel. Their hitters are all pretty much young guys. Dexter Fowler, I think, might qualify as the veteran on that team, and El Tuve, who, you know, they're definitely not giving away. So it it leaves those incremental upgrades, as Brian Cashman would call it. That That's all that's left. Yeah. But and that problem is going to continue to exist because teams that are out of it are most likely going to be young teams that are already rebuilding. They're right. not going to be getting rid of guys. Although the Cubs have this system of adding free agents in the offseason, signing them for a little bit of money to yep. one-year deals, and then dealing them like they did with right. Hamill. And that's because most of their prospects, a lot of the big ones are now in double and, and some up right. to AAA. So they're still trying to get so they're still the So they're still a year or two away. Right. But, they're, I mean, they're stockpiling. You look at even now. They have Javier Baez in the minors. They just added Addison Russell in that trade, and they have Starlin Castro, who's 24, as their shortstop. They're going to trade Starlin Castro. They can move one and trade one and still have a pretty good middle infield between the three of them. 
Yeah. I mean, that's just what they're doing. I see uh, the Yankees' options kind of – I think they might go get one or two guys from the Phillies, John Mayberry Jr. maybe, yeah. and, you know, Cole Hamels, but – Way too much money Way on that too guy. Much not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Not going to happen. I, I don't think, so. think the Yankees would love to have him. He fits exactly what they need. Yep. He's an ace type pitcher. He's a lefty. But Cliff Lee too. I mean, he's older. He's he's, hurt, got a, isn't he's, he? he's 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 on his way back. Uh, he's been he's pitching rehab games already, so he's on his way back. He just has a lot of money. Might not have the desire, but he fits the profile. He's a power lefty, former ace. But it's just like one of those things where it's like. Eh. You look at it, and five years ago, you'd go, he'd already be a Yankee. But now it's like, well, yeah, maybe. Well, he was the problem. Luke. You know? I, I don't envy Brian Cashman. Not in the slightest. But if you're him and you're reading what we're writing, which is basically like, dude, I mean, go get Carlos Quentin maybe if you want, who's yeah. not hitting 200. Hey, here's a 212 hitting center field slash first baseman that's, right. an, that's an upgrade for you. So if you're reading that, though. Do you think, well, man, I I don't really think it's worth giving up a Corey Black to go. I know he's already in the Cubs organization. <laughs> Double A All Star Corey Black, but I don't think it's worth giving that up for a piece that's not going to give us any no. wins above replacement. No. So, it, and if Brian Cashman doesn't make any moves, he's going to get killed. If he does make those moves, they could potentially backfire. I just don't know how he's making up his mind and deciding what he's going to finally do. And to be fair, and I hate to say this about either one of them because they're both wonderful guys and and talented players, it doesn't even pay, I don't think, to trade from a position of depth unless you're getting something more than just an incremental upgrade. So unless it's like Cervelli or Austin Romine, don't expect them to tap into their parade of catchers to go get, you know, to throw out a name out there that I've used. Uh, damn, I can't even think of anybody. Chase Headley? Yeah. Well, Chase Headley may be a little bit different, but like Chin Ming Wong, who oh, opted no. out of his contract. God, no. Um, just some of the guys I, I've listed on on my my stories the last couple of days. Don't expect them to go out and 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 trade from that stockpile to get a guy who's – Kind of a fringe starter, maybe a rental incremental upgrade. Like it's it's not worth it. Yeah. That's not that's not necessarily an upgrade. That's not using your strengths well. Well Will it I be think done, we, maybe, but we've seen the Yankees make two with Francis mm-hmm. and McCarthy. I think if they make another one, they're gonna try and get a little bit bigger of a fish. Right. And there's a couple of names even that I put in these pieces, like Alex Rios is an interesting one. That's a big fish. Texas is Texas has the worst record in the league. Now, Rios has an option for next year, and Texas might not stink as bad as they do this year because everybody might not be hurt next year. But it's an interesting thought because that would be someone where you could say, okay, he's going to be our right fielder this year. It still kind of puts the four-man rotation and lets us DH Beltran a little more or Ellsbury a little more or Gardner a little more and try to help them next year. Maybe it works out. You know what I mean? That 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 could be one where it's kind of a long shot and maybe a wild idea and a, and a costly one too. But maybe it works out. You're not going to do that for Cole Hamels. <laughs> I mean, that's just not – he's owed over $100 million over the next five years. I, I don't think that kind of blockbuster is in the works. Yeah. I'm just – you know, because I don't see Brian Cashman looking at this rotation. And Grant, let's be honest. They're at 500. they They're not far enough away to sell. 
because right. I think Brian Cashman knows that if somehow Tanaka can avoid Tommy John and Pineda comes back yep. and they can go get a starter, that this lineup might come together and they could actually really do some damage in the playoffs. Right. That When you spend that much money in the offseason, really, it's too late to go, what, are you going to trade David Robertson? And that's it? That's selling? That's – you know what? To be completely honest, that's really the only tangible asset yeah. the Yankees would have to sell is David Robertson because all of those bullpen guys are under team – Sean Kelly maybe fetched some too. But all those bullpen guys except for Thornton are like team control, you know, Batances and Warren and the guys in the minors. They're either team control guys or, or minor pieces. The starting rotation is – you know, made being held together with bubble gum and and thumbtacks at this point. They have just about everybody on the team offensively is either a long term contract or a one year deal. And I don't think anybody's banging down their door looking for Brian Roberts or Kelly Johnson, to be completely honest. So that leaves again their catching stockpile and David Robertson. That's really about it. Yep. So it's a tough position for Brian Cashman just in that that they might not want to give up what they need to be to be big buyers, but they don't necessarily have anything to sell if they want to be sellers. So they're stuck in that position of we just have to kind of – maybe if we solidify something. Like Casey McGee is one of the guys I mentioned in my infield piece. Your boy hits McGee. Well, the only thing is he's he Marlins would, are playing well. Right. But he would solidify. Right. But why would they trade him? Right. Now, theoretically, and that's why I said in the article that if they continue – they lost four in a row going in the break. If they continue free-falling, it's possible. But just a move like that would maybe say solidify third base. So, okay, McGee's our third baseman. That frees them up to figure out, do we need to keep Kelly Johnson? Do we need to keep Brian Roberts? Do we need to keep Solarte or Zealous Wheeler at the major league level? Can we designate one of these guys for assignment, open up a roster spot? Which one do we keep to play second base? Do we even bother? Do we bring up Ref Snyder? There's moves like that that can solidify, not necessarily be a blockbuster-like addition. It would be an incremental upgrade is the phrase I've used many times already in the last half hour. Would it solidify something? Yes. Those are the kind of moves that are more likely to happen just because that's really the position they're in. Yep. I think the Yankees might go get Ian Kennedy. That's just my opinion. I I, I think Brian Cashman's going to realize that the aces cost too much. And you, you, the Brandon McCarthy's of the world only do so much. I think Ian Kennedy is the perfect happy medium between those two. Obviously, there are circumstances. You mentioned yeah. the eight million that make him not the perfect option. Does San Diego make you say make you eat Carlos Quentin's deal too? In that, like you know, if you make a trade like that, and which, I think I don't think Brian Cashman would be in love with Carlos Quentin, and no. there's no reason for him to. If be. If he could play right field for the next sixty games right. and then be the DH next year, I guess you're okay. I think that that's a very very possible package deal. Right. And Brian Cashman will look at that and be like, okay, well, I think I, this makes it understandable that we don't go out and get another outfielder or type because we have Carlos Quentin to platoon with Ichiro, blah, blah, blah. And, and I Bel- think- Beltran complicates things too because if he's not healthy and he has to be the DH, that locks up your DH spot. You can't move guys around. Mm-hmm. If he – I hate to say this this way, but it almost seems like the best-case scenario for the Yankees is if he went and got his elbow surgery done. It would open up two spots. Because you would have the DH spot again, and then you say, okay, yes, now we definitely need a right fielder. Yeah. You don't want to wish I that on anybody, still, but, if, I mean, that's that's what you're looking at here. I think they still think that they definitely need a right fielder. Oh, absolutely. Because Brian Cashman needs to have – must have one sabermetrician in his front office being like, yeah. Ichiro only hits singles, Brian. 
which is true. Yep. And as, as great as a single is. Brett Gardner has a career high in home runs already. Right. I mean, it's a break. He's, what, nine? Other guys, people compare Ellsbury, Ichiro, and Gardner, but the first yeah. two, I mean, sorry, Gardner and Ellsbury are nothing like Ichiro. They bring a lot more to the table. Right. Ichiro's good in, in spells, but he can't be your starter. They're, they'll figure something out. Yeah. Right. And and this is you know, I'm going to bring back around to what I said earlier that I would the last point I wanted to make about the All Star game. Uh, yeah, I was going to loop you back because yep. we're running late. Yeah, but I'm going to loop back to this. And I was going to bring up I'd love to see the day Troy Tulowitzki hits a home run off of you Darvish and the two worst teams in the league determine home field advantage. I don't even need to because just what Adam Wainwright said means you know that maybe they're not taking things as seriously. The whole thing with the All-Star game counting for home field advantage is a joke at this point. I'm sorry. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke that the team that wins the All-Star game, the way the All-Star game is currently constructed with 79 guys on each roster and every team has to be represented, determines who has Game 7, the most important game of the year in the World Series, is absolutely ludicrous. I felt this way for many years, and as much as I love the respect for Derek Jeter, as much as I love Derek Jeter... Adam Wainwright's probably a little closer to the World Series this year than Derek Jeter is, and most of the guys on that on that American League team probably love that, and most of the guys on the National League team probably hate that, especially Jonathan Lucroy, whose team has the best record in the National League. Yeah, I, I, Lou, I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of beat writers, you hearing you say this, it doesn't surprise me. I think a lot of people hate it. I think if they changed a few things about it going into it, that it would change the way I feel. Right now, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I'm watching last night thinking, if this didn't matter, I wouldn't care. Right. But it does matter. Now, here's the thinking, though. If you do make it the same roster, just like a regular game, I don't care if, you know, we don't need uh, Josh Harrison from the Pirates. We don't need yeah. him. Keep him off the team. Uh, Pirates, you guys stink, so you don't yeah, get anybody. I'm sorry. You Darvish is a great pitcher, and I'm glad he finally got into the All-Star game after three years of making the team and never throwing a pitch. And Troy Tulowitzki might be the best hitter in the National League right now on the whole, overall. Your team stink. I'm sorry. I don't want to see you deciding who gets home field advantage in the World Series. Well, I, I, I disagree with that because I think Troy Tulowitzki is the best hitter in baseball. Right. So. If he's in a game that counts for home field advantage, despite the fact that the Rockies won't be in it, you want him to represent the NL. I disagree. I, that's that. That'd be like me going out and you know, for those of you who know professional wrestling like I do, Pete Gass like plays don't. for my softball team. He's a he's a wrestler. Used to work for WWE. Works for like WB Mason now. Plays from one of my softball teams. That'd be like us bringing him in in the playoffs all of a sudden. Be like, well, he's the best hitter in the league. Because he plays in our league, just not on my team, and saying, well, he's on my team, so I'm going to have him determine our playoff fate. It's a little ludicrous. I guarantee, I grant you, Tulowitzki is fantastic. I'd love to see Troy Tulowitzki in pinstripes. I'd love to watch Troy Tulowitzki hit in Colorado. If the game is for home field advantage, now he was voted in, so there's a little bit of a difference. But if the game is to determine home field advantage for a World Series that neither Colorado nor Texas is within sniffing distance of, I don't want the chance that they are going to determine the finality of the score. So would you want the All-Star game not to determine anything? Yes. I, I, I think it would be better if it was just an exhibition game and then you can do whatever you want. Adam Wainwright could just underhand balls to Derek Jeter if he wanted to. And you can have an All-Star from every team. You can have 98 guys on the roster. and You can have the fans vote in 
whoever you want and have guys like Garrett Richards who are 10 and 2 with a two something ERA left off the team. That's fine. If you want it to count for something, you need to change it a lot. Because yeah, that's, that's because how you I can't feel. have it as the this is the fans game. They vote in 18 of the 60 guys in the game. And also, by the way, whoever wins this gets Game 7 of the World Series. That's how I feel. One thing you said there I agree with in that if you want to have a count for something, you need to change it a lot. I think the way that you think that this system is a joke, I feel that way about the Pro Bowl and the NBA All-Star Game. Absolute jokes and waste of our time. Two things I will never turn on the television for. So why should I go watch baseball players jokingly playing around and not even, you know, giving a hoot? Not playing for anything in particular, just kind of going through the motions. Last night I got to watch Mike Trout hit a triple, which is one of the coolest things for sports fans to watch. Mm -hmm. Last night I got to watch Chris Sale pitch in the same game as, I don't know, Glenn Perkins and guys that from all around the league that you're not going to watch necessarily. You can't draw a line in a sport with so many devastating injuries to elbows and knees. How are you going to justify going and pitching Glenn Perkins in a game that does not matter at all, it would be because that would be a home moment. That would be for well, the fans in, of Minnesota. Not in particular. But what if Glenn, Glenn per- what if Glenn Perkins gives up a three-run home run to Josh Harrison in that game? Josh Josh Harrison was the last batter of the game, or, or batted in the ninth inning. I don't mm-hmm. remember if he was the last batter. What if he gives up a three-run homer to to Josh Harrison that completely changes the game? And then I don't I don't know off the top of my head who is left in the NL bullpen. There's quite a few guys came in and got the save. So then you're you're the athletics, and it's Game 7 of the World Series, and you have to go to Milwaukee or San Francisco or Los Angeles because a guy on a team that finished in second-to-last place in the American League gave up a gopher ball to a guy whose team finished 12th in the National League in the ninth inning of the All-Star Game. I just think... All it needs to happen is once, and then Bud Seal will go back, oh, I made a mistake again, I know, and, but and there you go. I, I, I just don't, I don't see it that way. I, I, I really don't. I, I personally, I focus on the now. I focus on the fact that I think an, an exhibition would be just so boring and, and so, you're just going through the motions. And last night I was thinking, I mean, there are a lot of issues with All-Star Games, Lou. Miguel Cabrera had to catch a ball in the first base line, and if he had broken his wrist, it would have created a whole thing for us to talk about today about how, you know, should the best players in the in, in the league be playing in the All-Star Game, they can get hurt, et cetera. Yeah. Ask Ray well, Fossey how he feels well, about that. That would multiply by 10 if it didn't mean anything, and a lot of people feel the way you do. And, and I, I understand your point, and I'm going to disagree with you with this caveat based on all of the other leagues. The Pro Bowl notwithstanding, because the Pro Bowl might as well just be flag football at this point with all the rules changes and all the crap that goes on with that. So I'm going to just go with the NBA and the NHL All-Star Games when they happen. The NBA, you play every team at least once every year. The NHL, you play every team at least once every two years, I think. It's not every year anymore. So you get to see Alex Ovechkin take shots on Jonathan Quick. You get to see LeBron guard Durant or vice versa, or Derek Rose go one-on-one with Chris Paul, or this and that. Baseball isn't like that. So you get to see Clayton Kershaw pitch against, pick a hitter, Miguel Cabrera. The Tigers don't play the Dodgers, but once every few years. So you don't get to see that all that often. So... To see Kershaw pitch against Miguel Cabrera is still – if you're looking to match up the best of the best versus the best of the best, 
baseball is the one sport where an exhibition, straight up exhibition all-star game would still have that value because it's not something you get to see. I get to see LeBron play Durant twice a year. Does it take away from it at all? No. But when it happens in the all-star game, it's not like, oh man, LeBron versus Durant. But when I see Chris Sale go up there throwing heat against guys he doesn't face, some guys he may have never have faced because he's young enough to have avoided them and they only play one interleague series. And, you know, maybe Kershaw didn't pitch against the Tigers the last time they played them. Maybe Cabrera was hurt the last time the Tigers played the Dodgers. You still have that, oh man, it's still this elite pitcher versus this elite hitter moment that you don't get to see all the time. I know, but I still think you'd be seeing a shade of the moment. I think if the game didn't matter, you'd be seeing Kershaw throwing 87 and Miguel Cabrera <laughs> joking around with the guys in the, in the um, dugouts and swinging half-heartedly. I, I, I disagree. I just I don't see it. It, it. You're relying entirely on competitive nature at a time in baseball where I disagree because the All Star game hurt. the All Star game didn't mean anything until a decade ago, and it never took away from it. Well, I think in today's day and age, Lou, you're dealing with a totally different, totally just we are crushed by injuries right now in baseball. Look around and look we at have every a young pitcher. We have a commissioner who panicked ten years ago when the game went twelve innings without a winner. That's what that's why the World and Series I know, means. I know that's why this is decided. You're angry at the commissioner, and a lot of people are, and a lot of people think he's done a bad job at a lot of different things. But the bottom line, I is, didn't say any of that. I just said when, that's that's what I think is that when that tie game happened ten, twelve years ago, whatever it was. The panic move was, well, let's make it determine home field advantage and change the rules and so people don't tune out because their all-star game ended in a tie. I yeah. think it was an overreaction, quite honestly. Yeah, it might have been. It very well might have been. But I, I, I just come from the idea where I just I, – I think this game is interesting. It matters. It could very well affect game seven. Chances are the best team will end up winning like they usually do, and I'm going to enjoy it and live a little. That's true. And I guess because we're nearing the 50-minute mark for this podcast, we're going to have to agree to disagree. But what you can do is, depending on how your feelings are, you can tell me I'm an idiot. You can tell Doug he's an idiot. You can tell us both we're idiots. Tweet at us, at Doug Williams, yes, at Lou DePietro, yes. Let us know what you think about the situation. If we get enough good responses or even enough responses, period, maybe we'll you know take revisit this next week and say, I never looked at it that way or I never looked at this that way, and we'll see what we get out of it. I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. So let us know what you think. At Doug Williams, yes. At Lou DePietro, yes. And maybe next week we'll... Uh We'll tell the world what you think. Who knows? We should keep talking in this argumentative tone. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. As a matter of fact, what we should do is we should wrap it up. I'm fleeing the room. uh, So if you haven't done so already, subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Listen to us on YesNetwork.com. Let us know how we're doing on Twitter. And like I said, let us know what you think about this debate. Maybe next week we'll uh, we'll re-pick it up. Until then, he is Doug Williams. I'm Lou DiPietro. We are the Yes Men. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.